Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Today we start a new series called Hashtag Struggles, and it's the, the tagline is following Jesus in a selfie-centered world. Now you may not be a regular user of social media, things like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or Pinterest or one of those things, and, and if you aren't, you may be saying to yourself, well, what in the world is a hashtag? I mean, I hear that phrase, Brett, what is that? A hashtag looks kind of like a, a pound sign. And if you're on Twitter where you are able to type your thoughts to the world in 140 characters or less, you can go in and search for different hashtags. And in so doing, you will see what is trending and what is popular. For instance, um, I spent the week camping with my good friend Michael last week, and, uh, or a week before last, and he had taken some pictures and put them on different social media outlets, and he tagged all of those with hashtag fall break 2016. So that if you wanted to go in and just search that hashtag, you could see all the things that are relevant to hashtag 20, fall break 2016. Not just his, but anybody who has tagged that. Um, and it's, just a, it's, it's, it's often something that events will, will use to <clears throat> kind of make their event trend nationally. When we go to Catalyst, they give us a hashtag that they want us to use if we tweet something or put something on Facebook about Catalyst. They want us to use that hashtag at the end so that it, it draws attention to Catalyst Conference uh, or Leadership Summit or any of those kind of things. And so when you make your comments about it, you're supposed to hashtag it. Um, if you were on Instagram, if you were to go to Instagram where people post pictures and you were to search uh, hashtag cool shoes, then you would see a picture something like this. This is a screen capture from... Uh, where I went in and searched hashtag cool shoes, and that's what came up. And um, I had to block out one little thing because it wasn't very nice what was up there at the top. But, and don't, don't hashtag it now to see what it is. That's not cool. <laughs> but but <clears throat> that's kind of what happens when you do something like that. You'll see everybody's awesome kicks and how pretty their shoes are because they took a picture of them and they put them on there for the whole world to see. Isn't that great? Maybe not. A hashtag is simply a tool to connect with what other people are saying on a similar media. It's just a way to kind of connect things together. The goal <clears throat> of this message series is to talk to you about five different struggles that interfere with biblical values, uh, really, as a result of social media. And, uh, and if you're not using social media at this point, um, or if you are using social media at this point, but if you, if you aren't, it's, it's okay. These messages are still going to speak to you. I had people walking out this morning they said, Brad, I don't use any of that stuff, but what you said really, it, it's, it, it spoke to me as well. Let me say this before I get started. I don't make a big secret of the fact that I'm not a big fan of all of the social media outlets. There's some that I like better than others and some that I use way more than others. Um, there, there are some incredible benefits of social media. You can connect with people all over the world. <clears throat> it makes the world a much smaller place. It enables us to connect with people maybe that we haven't seen, people from high school or college that you kind of lost track of. Um, I have a, a, a girl, I had a little baby, I had a, she wasn't little, I was little. When I was little, I had a babysitter <clears throat> named Hazel. And I didn't think I'd ever hear from Hazel again. I had no idea where Hazel was. Well, you know, about two years ago, she gets a hold of me through social media and says, hey, it's Hazel and, and uh, you're all grown up now. And um, I was like, yeah, so I was able to, you know, communicate with her a little bit and hear from her once in a while, and, and that's, that's kind of neat. There are some benefits to social media, 
At the same time, uh, with all of the benefits of that, that you know, great technology provides, there are also some unintended downsides and, and some unintended negative consequences that can come with social media and different forms of technology. What I want to do is I want to raise a few of those issues and contrast them with the struggles that we have when it comes to some biblical values. And I think this is going to be a very powerful series that's going to speak to a lot of you. If, if the indication of people walking out the door, I had people walking out the door for a service that don't ever say anything to me, and they were stopping saying, hey, that was really helpful for me. So whether you're using social media or not, um, there's something in this for you today, I, I'm pretty sure. I want to talk today <clears throat> about contentment. We're going to look at the problem that we all run into when we compare with others. Often when we compare, we become dissatisfied uh, or discontented in our own hearts. Uh, we're also going to look at intimacy. When we post something on social media, we get immediate feedback on a lot of that stuff. And therefore, it makes us feel close to people. Uh, but it has been said, social media really gives us the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. And I think that's true. Um, you know, if you were to take all the people that you're friends with via social media and really evaluate, are they really a friend of mine? A lot of the people that you are calling friends on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, when the chips are down, you're probably not going to hear from, you know, dare I say, half to three quarters of those people, right? I mean, there's a, the people that we would call true friends, that number starts to get a lot smaller, um, we might be very comfortable relating to people online, but many of us are longing for something much more than that face-to-face. -face. You know, you want to have a meaningful conversation with somebody, not just some passing thing on some uh, social outlet somewhere. We're going to talk about authenticity. Now more than ever, we can filter what people see from us, and we can edit the things that we say. We can. We don't always do that. There are people that say things on social media, it just blows my mind what they think is okay to say on, on some website or, you know, Facebook or Twitter or, or whatever. Um, I've said before that Facebook is kind of like handing people an open microphone, and not everybody should have an open microphone, okay? Wouldn't you agree with me? There's just all kinds of drama, and it gets kind of nuts. Um, but I would say this, the more filtered our lives are, the more difficult it is for our lives to be authentic. You know, we, we're able to, if we're going to put something out there for the whole world, we're able to filter that and make sure that we say it just the right way and that, you know, we, we don't make any mistakes with it, which is great. The problem with that is sometimes you don't get the authenticity that you might like to get. There's, a, there's something really valuable about being able to truly know how someone feels and, and know kind of behind the scenes. In fact, um, I strive for that as a pastor and as a preacher. Uh, you come to church here, and I, I would like to think that I'm a little more uh, real uh, publicly than, than a lot of guys are, and because of that, you feel like you've kind of got a window into my life, and you know things about me that sometimes other guys might not let you know. What that, what that is, is that's an attempt to be authentic. That's an attempt to let you see that, hey, I don't have it all figured out, and I'm not perfect at all this stuff. In fact, later on in the message today, I'm going to talk about something relative to me that is not going to make me look very good, and uh, that's basically in an attempt to be unfiltered. That's in an attempt to, to let you see me warts and all, to let you see that I struggle with things the same way that you struggle with things, and that we're all human. Uh, we're going to talk about compassion. 
Studies show that in, in the past 20 years, we have become a less compassionate culture. Does that surprise you at all? That's what scientists are starting to discover and sociologists. And these studies argue that technology overwhelms us with all this information in the world to the point that we, we just feel like we cannot care for people anymore. And yet God calls us to be compassionate. We're going to talk about how we can care about one another in a selfie-centered world. And finally, we're going to talk about rest. Uh, I, like most of you, am so tethered to my cell phone that it's ridiculous. I'm not like uh, the, the statistics on teenagers, and I'm sure the statistic has gone up since this was written, but the statistic on teenagers is 80% of teenagers sleep with their cell phone. Can you believe that? Now, I'm not quite that bad. Mine is right there by the bed um, in the event that someone needs to get a hold of me in, a, in, in an emergency. The problem with that is I don't always hear it. And so I don't know why I'd leave it there because I'll wake up in the morning and it'll say voicemail and I'm like, hmm, I didn't, didn't even hear that ring. Um, if you're one of those people that charges your phone in the living room or the kitchen and then you sleep in your bedroom, I salute you. You know, there, there need to be more of us that are doing that. Uh, we'll talk about rest and I'm sure that's going to come up when we, when we talk about rest. Today we're going to talk about discontentment and envy and how do we become content in Christ. That's really what we're trying to figure out. There's no way to truly know, but the odds are, are pretty good that discontentment has never been a bigger problem than it is in the world right now. Never before have so many had so much and yet still been discontent and wanted more. Some sociologists are saying that social media is one of the biggest driving causes of discontentment because what happens is when we look at other people's lives on social media, they look perfect because what they're doing is they're putting their best image out there for the world to see, right? They're, they're filtering that image. The, 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 the filtered image is the one that you get to see. Now, before you think, well, that's ridiculous, I would never do that, I beg to differ, and I'm going to prove it to you. Um, and I'm going to pick on the ladies for a minute. I think this is more of a ladies thing than a guys thing, and I don't know that a whole lot of people would argue with me, but let's just see. Um, ladies... I would like a show of hands if your husband or someone has ever taken a picture of you and was going to put it on social media and you looked at the picture and said, no, not that one. Yep. Yep. Okay, ladies, how many of you have had your picture taken by your husband or someone else and you, you immediately look at the picture, don't you? Because now they're all digital. You can see it immediately. There's no waving a Polaroid around. There's no waiting three or four days to get it back from, you know, from the developer. Kids would hear us talk that way and go, what? You waited three days to see the picture? Wait three days? We waited two weeks to see the picture back in the day. They, they have no concept. They have no idea how we struggled, do they? Hashtag struggles. So, so how many of you ladies have had your picture taken, immediately look at the picture and say, delete that? Let me see. Let me see. Yep. See? Because you're filtering that image. You want to make sure that if there's a... I take pictures of Dee all the time, and, and she's always, let me see that. No, you got to get rid of that one. That's no good. And I'm like, honey, that's a great picture. No, delete the picture. And I delete the picture. <laughs> um, but we are putting our best image forward. We filter those, right? That's what we do on social media. We want to make it look good for everybody else. Pastor Stephen Furtick says we are comparing our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reel. That is exactly what we're doing. I had to, 
Kyle had to point this out to me. We were going to things like Leadership Summit and Catalyst, and, you know, part of my job is I speak for a living, partially. That's not all I do, but that's a big part of it, and I go to these conferences and hear these unbelievable speakers, and they're, they wow you with their smarts and, and, you know, how great they speak, and, you know, they don't use notes, and I just, I would watch them, and I'd just, and I would leave, and I'd be depressed. I'm like, man, I'm not, I can't do that. I'm not that good, and Kyle would say, Brett, you got to understand, brother, he probably has preached that thing 20 times. He doesn't need notes, right? He, he's, that's his highlight reel. You're comparing yourself to another guy's highlight reel. Brett, don't do that. And so we all do that. We see the highlight reel of somebody else on some social media site, and we think, well, boy, they've really got their act together. I'm not like that. And we feel like losers because we see their best, and we know what our worst is, and it becomes a problem. I heard about two moms who hated each other on social media. One was a working mom, and she said, I just hated this lady because she, she had like the perfect life. She was the Pinterest home, stay-at-home mom and was doing crafts with her kids and spending time with her kids, and it just made me feel so guilty because I wasn't doing that kind of stuff. And the woman that she was saying all that about was heard to say, I hated you because you had a life and you were out working and you were doing things and I haven't had my hair in anything but a ponytail in weeks and I haven't had an adult conversation in I don't know how long and I wanted what you had. And here are these two women with entirely different lives and different worlds envying each other because of what they saw on social media. That might describe you. You're at home all by yourself, and you see friends out on a date, and you're like, man, I want to be on a date. I wish I had somebody that, you know, and they're eating lobster, and you're at home eating lean cuisine. You don't even like lean cuisine, and that's what you've got to eat because it was the only thing left in the freezer to eat, right? Or you see a friend who's at the gym, and they're working out, and they're doing CrossFit, and how many burpees they did, and, you know, they're doing all these elaborate exercises, and you know, they're taking muscle selfies and all that. Meanwhile, you're sitting there with a Twinkie stuck in your mouth and <laughs> single-handedly keeping little Debbie away from bankruptcy. I mean, you know, that's the world you're, you're in. And you think to yourself, man, I feel so bad about myself. And never before in the history of the world could it be easier for us to measure popularity, or so we think. You know, when I was a kid, the only way you measured your popularity was how many invites you got to the party or how many friends gathered around your your locker before school or how many kids you were able to eat with at lunchtime, right? That's how we measured popularity. Today, do you know how they measure popularity? How many likes they got? How many friends do they have on Facebook? I get friended by people on Facebook. I barely know who they are, but somehow they want to be my friend on Facebook. And, and, uh, you know, it's just... It's, and, and here's the thing, what's funny about that is, you know, I'm a pastor now, and, and it's different for me because I'm in front of people, and, and you know, I, I like to talk to you and get to know you, and I like having friends, but when I was in high school, I was not popular at all. I mean, at all. I mean, nobody was asking me to come to a party. In fact, one of the things, one of the ways, ladies, this will interest you, the way girls think they're popular in high school is is like how many girls are around the locker or, or how many, um, you know, girls invite them over to parties or slumber parties or whatever. For guys, this is how guys know they're popular. This is how we knew when we were growing up. It was, it was what order you got picked in dodgeball. Am I right? That's pretty much it. The higher you got, the more popular you were. It's like, you know, they took me third. Like, I'm popular. 
you know, and then it took me 20. I thought, oh, nobody loves me. So, so these days, it's, it's kind of easy to see, you know, and you hear somebody say, well, I've only got 290 followers, and she has 492, and she has almost like twice as many as me, and you know, my picture only got 19 likes, and the one before that only got 12 likes, and the most I've ever gotten was 33 likes, and she posts a picture, and it goes triple digits. <laughs> and we compare, and we summarize everybody else's life, and we say, everybody else's life is so much better, and my life stinks. That's what we do. The more we compare with others, the less satisfied we are. The more we compare with others, the less satisfied we are. Researchers did a study on college uh, campuses. They had students spend half an hour on Facebook, and then they surveyed their feelings after spending a a half an hour looking at Facebook, just looking at Facebook. And one-third of the students who spent a half hour looking at Facebook said that at the end of that time, they felt more depressed than they did when they started. And they asked them to specifically give an emotion that they were feeling, and the thing that they said was they felt envious. They felt envy because they were seeing things that other people had that they didn't have. This is a real issue. This is a problem for many of us, and what I want to do today is is to be very honest and expose the discontentment in our hearts. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you three different categories, and I want you to be gut-level honest with yourself about some of this. In fact, the very first one, I'm going to ask you to be gut-level honest with all of us, um, we're going to broaden it beyond social media, but, but for those of you who use social media, you will probably see yourself in at least one of these areas and probably more than that. Let's talk about the first one, material, financial and material discontentment. You see him post a picture of his new pickup truck, and it immediately makes you hate your pickup truck, right? It's like you see his, and it's like, man, it's look how lifted and beautiful and pipes and diesel and it's got the badging, and the colors are right, and the wheels are perfect, and your truck, you look at yours, and it's like, my truck's not any good. Or, or you know, you want to be happy for him, but it's just, it's hard, you know, you're, you're jealous because you want a truck like that. Um, she posts a picture of her brownies on Facebook, and that's what she wants you to see is a picture of her brownies, but that's not what you see. You see counter, uh, granite countertops, and you see... You know, you see cabinets the color that you want with the little shiny light underneath it, and, and the pull tab is different than your pull tab. And honey, we've got to have new pull tabs for our cabinet. And he's like, where did that come from? I've never heard you talk about the pull tabs on our cabinets, you know? And her kids are perfect, and their faces are all clean, and every hair's in place, and you feel like a horrible mom because your kids, you look at them, and it's like, you don't even want to look at them because it's that bad, you know? And you think, I wish I had what she's got. It could be that your friend is at the beach again for like the second or third time in a year, and you haven't even been able to get to the lake yet, and you know, you look in, she takes a picture of the new shoes that she's got, and they're in her shoe closet, and next to the extra hundred pairs of shoes she's got, and you, you look at your shoe closet, it doesn't have as many. But before we get carried away there, I venture to say, if not in your shoe closet, somewhere in your house, most of us have at least... 10 pairs of shoes, am I right? I mean, that would be a low number for probably most of us. You're not front with me, I know, I know, because I've got a problem with it too. We, we, we've, you know, we've got way more than we realize. Um, and it makes you materially or financially at some level discontent. If this has ever been an issue with you, would you right now just be real honest and raise your hand? 
If you've ever struggled, now come on, this is church. Don't lie in church. You know better. If you've ever struggled with this contentment, let me see your hand really high. Be proud. See, this is, this is where we live. This is what's going on with us all the time. Um, let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about relational discontentment. You see all your friends, and they're all there together at some party somewhere, and you didn't even get an invite to the party, and, you know, I'm left out again, and I wasn't invited, and or you're, you're not married, but you've got friends that are getting married all the time, and you're sick and tired of going to everybody else's wedding because you want somebody like that, and, and they're happy, and you're not, and you think, you know, I wish I had somebody special. You see somebody else, and they've got time with their children. They're able to spend time. They're able to take them places, and you can't because it's all you can do to work two jobs to make enough money to keep all the ends meeting together, and you wish you could spend time with your kids, and you feel guilty for it. And you see relational intimacy that other people have, and you don't have all that you want. And they, they look like they have the great marriage. You know, they take all the pictures, and they're going to all the places. They're not telling you they're fighting. They're not telling you that they, they put a smile on their face at the moment because two minutes earlier they were fighting with each other, and they took this selfie, and now they're back to fighting again. They don't tell you that stuff. But that's what it looks like. And you see all that, and you envy them, and you find yourself in one form or another feeling very relationally envious and discontent. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you feel that way this morning, but just let me say this. I guarantee you that 100% somebody in the room feels that way this morning. Somebody in the room, probably several somebodies, sees what's going on with everybody else and thinks, I wish I had that. And then the third one is what I'll call circumstantial discontentment. You're looking at your life and you're comparing it to somebody else's and you're thinking, I wish I was where they were in my point at that, by this point in my life. I thought I'd be doing something more significant. I thought I would, I thought I would have gotten far further. And you want desperately to have a baby, and you just watch the 14th gender reveal video on Facebook, and you do not think you can take any more. This one can get to me. I'll, I'll preach on Sundays, and then I usually go home for my post-sermon nap. That's what I like to do is take a post-sermon nap, and then after I wake up from my nap at some point, I'll, you know, kind of graze through some of the social media stuff just real briefly, and you'll have, you, you, some of you will have not come to church and will have gone to the lake, shamey, shamey on you, or you've gone to the football game or you've gone somewhere else and you're taking pictures and selfies and look where I was, and, and I'm thinking, I'd like to be able to do that, but I had to work. I couldn't go do that kind of stuff. Um, I serve the Lord while you serve the devil and go do those other things. <laughs> now, now, I'm kidding, okay? I'm kidding because I really only work one day a week, so I do all my stuff in the week. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just, I have to do those, those things at other times. I don't get, I don't do it on Sunday. I just like going camping. I, I took a vacation and we went camping. I get to do stuff. Um, Someone has said this, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. That's good. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. You've heard me say this before. I had a friend one time. I was going through something. It was kind of tough. I was worried about the response of other people. I was going to make a pretty big decision and I was worried that some people were going to have something to say about it, and, and a good friend of mine looked at me and said, Brett, the only reaction you can control is your own. That is a great piece of advice. Somebody came here this morning, that's what you needed to hear. The only reaction you can control 
is your own. The reality is, for most of us, it's the flip side of that whole life is 10% thing. Most of us live as if 90% is what happens to us, and we really don't have much power in how we respond. I wish you could be in the room with me when I'm talking to people, somebody that's, you know, that's hurting their family, or they've hurt their wife, or they've hurt their husband by something they've said. They got mad, they flew off the handle, they do it often, and they say the wrong thing. And, and you know, they're like, Brett, I just can't help it. no. I think you could help it. I think you could help it. I think you've got yourself convinced that you just, you know, it's not my fault. It just kind of comes out, Brett, I don't have a filter. Well, maybe you need to grow one, right? And maybe when you hurt enough people and you alienate enough people, maybe when enough people walk away from you because you can't keep your mouth shut and you can't put a filter on it and you figure it out, maybe then you will watch what you say. But most of us live as if it's just 90% what happens to us, and we really don't have much power in our response. The Apostle Paul was a master at responding with a Christ-like perspective. In fact, we're going to look at what might be one of the best verses in Scripture of all time on contentment. And, and, And as he's writing this, this is what I want you to understand about the Apostle Paul. You need to understand he's writing this from prison, okay? He is chained to a Roman guard. He does not know what his future holds. He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He is not on the beach sipping a Mai Tai. Life is not great for Paul. And here is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, and if you've got a pen, you may want to circle this. I have learned the secret of being content. I would underline that if I were you. In any and every situation. In other words, if life is going to go the way I want it to go, or when it's not going the way I want it to go, I know the secret of being content. Whether well-fed, he says, or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, he says, I want you to know the secret. Here's the secret of being content in every situation. And then he quotes, or he writes, Philippians 4.13. Now, you've used Philippians 4.13, especially if you're an athlete. Every athlete I know who's a Christian, at some point has quoted Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I just want you to know that usually when you're quoting that verse, you're probably taking it out of context, okay? It's okay, it's cool, because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but this verse is written specifically about the idea of being content with what you have. Paul says, look, I've had a lot, I've had a little, and I've learned the secret to being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do it. I can be content through Christ. The secret of contentment is not found in what I have or do not have. The secret of contentment is found in Christ and Christ alone. Until Christ is all you have, you will never recognize that Christ is all you need. You want to find the power of contentment? You let everything else be stripped away, and then you cling to the Son of God And you recognize that his presence is real in your life. It is he that offers a peace that is beyond our ability as humans to even comprehend it. That he is our rock. He is our sustainer. He is our redeemer. He is our assurance. He is our ever peace in times of trial and trouble. He is everything we need. You can search and search and search and get all the likes you want on Facebook and all the approval you want from people and all the material things that you've ever wanted, you can know and love as many people as you can find, but until you experience the goodness and the kindness of Christ, 
You will always be dissatisfied and longing for something more because within you is a Christ-shaped void. There is a, there is a you know, when we were little, we had the, the little block thing that you fit the blocks into to learn your shapes. There's a very unique shaped one of those inside your soul, and we try to put everything we can into that to make it fit, and it never satisfies us. There is one block, and it is Jesus, and until we figure out how to put that in that hole, we are not going to be satisfied. Until you let Christ be all that you need, you will always battle with in the enemy of discontentment. Envy will rule your heart. Until you figure that out, envy's going to be a problem. Paul says, I'll tell you the secret of being content. I can have a lot. I can be in a Roman prison. But by Christ, I can do everything he calls me to be. That is the secret of being content. So today, in the time we have left, I want to talk about two things that we absolutely need Christ's strength to do. These things will help us to overcome the sin of envy. And it is a sin. Uh, through Christ's strength, the first thing we're going to do is we will kill comparisons in our life. We're going to kill comparisons. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, we do not dare, in other words, we don't even go close to it. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. He says comparing is not wise. We're not going to do it. We're going to be tempted to do it. Oh, you're absolutely going to be tempted to compare to other people. Don't do it. Paul says it is not wise. We're going to kill comparisons. Why? James says this. I want you to see how dangerous this is. James says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. James is going to be a little sarcastic here. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is, and I want us to say these three words together. Say them with me. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Say them again. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. He says, this stuff, it's, it's not even from heaven. You know, this, this stuff comes from a really bad place. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So we're going to kill comparisons because it's Paul James says it's demonic I mean it's it comes from a bad place this is one of the top 10 commandments thou shalt not covet it's just not healthy it, it, it's sinful in the eyes of God it's 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 something that we want to crush we want to crush comparisons with other people now I don't know what this needs to look like in your life uh, for some of you you may need to take a break from social media you know, you may just need to put the phone down and back away slowly, right? Uh, some of you are on there so much that it just keeps you so worked up. And, and you know, every time you look on there, it, it increases your stress level. It makes you envious. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. It's up to you to figure out how you do this in your life. I'm just trying to help you be led to God in such a way that you don't have some of this stuff going on in your life that everybody else seems to have going on because they're constantly 24-7 dealing with these kind of things. You may need to hide the feed of a certain person in your social media group. Like there might be, you know, you could see this person or this person or this person and they get a new truck or they get a new house or whatever and you're like, oh, rock on, you know, good for them. But that one person, you know, that if you're totally honest, you don't really like all that much, but you don't ever tell anybody because it makes you look really small and petty. You know that person? 
and something good happens for them, and you're like, mm, hate that person. They're always getting something, you know, and it's always going, it's always up and to the right for them. It's always great for them. And every time you see it, you, you, everything in you just goes, your, your, your brain, it's like the cartoon where you think your brain's going to explode. Maybe what you need to do is go in and hide that person so that you don't see their stuff. And you don't have to be made to feel that way all the time. Um, let's go beyond social media. Some of you get catalogs in the mail, and it comes, and you're thumbing through the catalog, and you're, you know, you're like my daughter when she was five getting ready for Christmas. Got it, got it, want it, want it, got it, want it, got it. And the catalog comes, and you're thumbing through, and it's like, got that, need a better one of those. Oh, didn't even know they made that. I got to have that. You know, one minute, you don't even know it exists, and the next minute, it's like you can't live without it, right? Think about it. Again, they cannot sell you a new car on television or a new house or a new laptop or anything else until they convince you that the one you have is not good enough. It's the first thing they got to do. First thing they got to do with an advertisement is convince you that what you have is not good enough. That's their job. That's their job. You know what your job is? Look at the one you got and say, that's good enough. That'll get the job done. Now, once in a while, when it's really pretty and shiny and fast and has a great stereo, you might need a new one. That's just me. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. Some of you need to quit watching HGTV, right? Because Joanne and Chip get started and they start doing stuff and you're, you look at your husband and you say, I want that right? You just need to quit. You find yourself wishing you could have a house like that or you could have appliances like that. Your appliances heat the milk and heat the oven and make the bread just the same way as any other appliance, but somehow, no, it's got to be better. We got to upgrade. Some of you see a house on the market and you're like, man, I got to have that house. And you go finance yourself to the hilt and do things that are not healthy for you financially, all because you were discontent. Maybe you shouldn't go to the boat show, or the gun show, or the knife show, or the hunting show, or the camping show. Maybe you should just bypass all the shows, okay? We want to kill comparisons. Why? Because envy is demonic. Every evil uh, practice comes from within. The lust that, that we long for these other things for something more. And not only do we want to kill comparisons in this way, but by celebrating the successes of others, you truly can purify your heart. When someone else has, has been blessed in a way that maybe you would like to be blessed, when maybe it's time for you to learn how to celebrate with them so that um, that will maybe purify the intentions of your own heart. See, this is about maturity. This is, this is about growing up. This is about being honest with us and saying, you know what, I'm done being a two-year-old. Because that's how we act, right? We act like glorified two-year-olds. Well, I wanted to stay longer, and I didn't get to. I wanted a bigger one. I wanted a prettier one. Well, she got more than me. You know, they got more likes than I did. They got to stay longer at the beach than we did. Someone else always gets that thing that you wanted. When that happens, here's, here needs to be your prayer. God, I want to give you thanks. I want to thank you for blessing them. I want to be able to recognize that they've been blessed, and I just want that to be enough. And I'm not going to worry about me. I, I just I want to rejoice with them. When you can do that, it purifies your motives. 
And when you can genuinely be happy for the successes and blessings of others, that's really a good thing. I think it's possible that in your own heart, when you cannot celebrate the successes and blessings of others, you are limiting what can happen in your own life. I really believe that. For me, this is where I'm going to be gut-level honest with you. I'm going to show you where this can show up for me. For me, uh, when it comes to other churches, I say all the time that we're not competing with other churches. Do you know why I say that all the time? Because I am a very, very competitive person. That's why. Um, Over the summer, I was able to lose some weight. and People say, how did you lose that weight? You know how I did it? Fitbit. Didi strapped that thing on my arm and it started counting calories. It means it keeps score. I'm like, oh, we're keeping score? All right. Well, now that changes the game, doesn't it? Now that I can see it, now that I know whether I'm winning or losing, now it changes the game. So I'm a really competitive person. And so I, I don't want to be a person, I certainly don't want to be a pastor that's competing with other pastors. I don't want to be a pastor that's competing with other churches. So I, you know, that's a core value around here. We do not compete with other churches. You know, when people come to us from another church and they want to tell us something bad that was going on at that church, we really don't want to hear it, okay? I'm not interested in knowing how bad some other church is. I'm sure they're great people, and I'm sure they're doing the best they can. Every church has problems. If you're looking for the perfect church and you've come here today, keep moving because we definitely are not that, okay? But we genuinely do not want to be competing with other churches. But here's here's the little dirty secret. Here's the inside thing that I don't want you to know. Deep down inside, that's a problem for me. That's a struggle. The competitive side of me wants to compete with people. And I do this every day of my life. See, you come to church on Sunday, maybe you don't think about us anymore. Hopefully you do. Hopefully Jesus is on your mind all the time. Hopefully the church is on your mind all the time. But for me and the staff, this is a 24-7 gig. This is what I think about when I wake up, when I lay my head on my pillow. This is personal for me. And so it's really easy for me to slip into a mode where I can find myself competing with somebody else. Now, I'm not proud of that, and I don't like saying that to you, but if I'm going to be totally authentic with you, that's where I go to. And I have to purify my heart and say, God, I want that church full. I want great things to happen to those pastors. I want great things to happen for that church. God, we are all on the same page, and I don't want to be some petty little pastor who gets so worked up because somebody got some recognition that I didn't get or their church did this and our church didn't do it or their church made the news and our church didn't it's not about any of that but you see how easy that can creep in even when you're talking about spiritual things I don't know if God works this way or not I don't know if this is accurate but is it possible that God is not giving you or blessing you with what you want because you are not celebrating the successes and blessings of other people. Is it possible? I don't know. Does God work that way? I don't know. Maybe. I want to be the kind of person who is faithful and who celebrates God's blessings in someone else's life. If you're not getting what you want, you may need to take a look at your heart. It may not be right. Only you know. We want to kill comparison. Second thing we want to do is we're going to cultivate gratitude. I think it's the key to life. I think it's the key to a successful faith, key to a successful marriage, key to a successful workplace. Gratitude is the fuel of a successful life in Christ. Gratitude is the fuel of a successful life in Christ. Envy has been defined this way, resenting God's goodness in other people's lives 
and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. We want to cultivate gratitude. Listen to Proverbs. All the days of the oppressed are wretched. Some of you are like this, and some of you know somebody like this. You're Eeyore. You know, you're Eeyore. Um, It was a horrible day. You know, I wanted it to rain, but it rained too hard. I didn't want it to rain, and it sprinkled a little bit. You know, economy's bad. Presidential race is awful. I don't know who to vote for. My kids are all brats. You know, I mean, just my car is awful. Proverbs 15, all the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. The cheerful heart, the happy heart, may experience the same kind of day that's not so great, but the happy heart sees the blessing in it. The happy heart is always ready to see the goodness of God. If you're looking for bad in this world, it's not hard to find, is it? You can find bad in the world. But you know what? If you want to find some good stuff in the world, if you want to find God working, you look around. You can find God working. God's up to stuff. For the cheerful heart has a continual feast. This is all about perspective. When we were back in the old building, he's not with us anymore. He's gone on to be with Jesus. But there was a man named Harry Hollers. Harry was a friend of mine, and Harry was not in the best of health. In fact, Harry was dying, and I think Harry knew he was dying. But uh, I would see Harry on Sunday, and you know, I would look at him sometimes and think, man, Harry doesn't look real good today. I'd say, Harry, how are you doing today? I'm on the right side of the grass. That's what he would say. I loved that. And I've said that so many times. I'm on the right side of the grass. Harry had it right. Solomon was the richest man of his time. Some have speculated that he might have been the richest man of all time. This is what Solomon said. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. You want to live in a continual party? Enjoy what God has given you instead of longing for things that you do not have. Be thankful for what God has given you instead of looking on Instagram and seeing what everybody else has and thinking to yourselves, man, I wish I had their life. There are people who wish they were you. There are people who wish they had what you have. There are people that wish they had a life with as few problems as your life seems to have. Instead of saying, I hate my stupid car, the next time you want to say that, say, I'm so thankful that I have a car and that having a par put, car puts me in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. Okay? I thank God that I have a car. I wish, you know, next time you think, I wish I had a better house. No, I thank God that I have a roof over my head and indoor plumbing. I'm a fan of indoor plumbing, aren't you? Big fan of indoor plumbing. Let me tell you a story real quick. We need to go, but I got to tell you this. Camping a week ago, I met a new friend. His name is Henry. He grew up Amish. So don't think I didn't pick his brain. Like we sat down, Henry and I had a talk. I wanted to hear all about Henry's upbringing. He left the Amish faith when he was 24 years of age. And um, so Henry, you know, we're all down around the campfire at night. Henry was up at his camper and he had a satellite and he had television and he was watching the Cubs in the playoffs. And, um, you know, campers can be kind of snooty. I mean, all of us as campers, we're all really not camping. It's pretty, it's all glamp, glamping pretty much. But, but Henry was taking it to the extreme with his flat screen and his satellite, and somebody was kind of letting him know about it. And I'm not going to say it exactly how Henry said it, because that would not be appropriate. But, but Henry said, he's a fan of indoor plumbing. He said, listen, I pooped in a pit for 24 years of my life, okay? I'm going to watch some satellite television. So, <laughs> so... Henry's going to be my new friend. You know, I'll ask you, how you doing? Oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. 
Listen, be thankful that you got stuff to be busy about. Be thankful that your kids keep you busy. Be thankful you've got a job to work at. Be thankful that you've got things to make you significant. There are people that would love to have what you have. I thank God for blessing me. I thank God for giving me a life that allows me to be significant in some way in the kingdom, that allows me to do some things, that keeps me busy. Yes, there are times that it just feels like I'm going to pull my hair out, but most of the time it's a glorious thing and I'm thankful for it. We kill comparisons because it does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. We want to celebrate the blessings of others and rejoice with those who rejoice, and we will cultivate gratitude, worshiping God because he is worthy of our praise and because we have learned the secret of being content, whether we live in plenty or whether we don't have anything. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Are you having trouble with contentment? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because he is all I need. And when I pursue him with my whole heart and I start to look around at everything else, you know what I find myself saying? God, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. I got you. I got you. I can be thankful that they've got what they've got. This is what I've got and I'm thankful for it. And most of all, I've got you and I have peace. I have joy. I have contentment in my life. I'm not stressed out. I'm not mad at the world because I don't have something. We got to grow up. We got to get past some of this. Let's pray together. Father, we need your help with this. Um, Men and women are paid big bucks to convince us that what we have is not enough. Uh, Men and women are paid big bucks to convince us to be discontent because they can't sell us something new until we don't like what we have. And we are bombarded every day of our life with these advertisements that tell us what we should want. Father, what we should want is a life that is filled with you, a life that has your footprint, thumbprint on us at all times, and that we would want nothing more than to be in your presence and to know your contentment and your grace. Father, that's our heart. We want to get past this uh, insecurity. We want to get past this um, immaturity. And we want to grow up in you to be satisfied, content people. May that be our heart as we leave this, mor- this uh, morning, and may you work on us this week in this area. We need your help. We pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.